0: This week, we discussed the theory of constraints, a mental model for deciding what to focus on as an entrepreneur. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a
1: software-enabled services company called Leg
0: Up Health. What's up, Tyler? Uh... I want to talk about uh, this new thing called Zip message a little bit. Um, what, what is zip message? What is zip message indeed? So f- for anyone who doesn't follow us on Twitter, uh, it's a thing. I, first, I'll talk about how it relates to this podcast, but then I, I want to have a more general conversation about it. It's a asynchronous, mostly video or audio communication tool um, that basically lets you like send messages back and forth. But instead of text, like normally that's an email or a Slack message or something, but these are kind of videos and, and audio messages. So I think it's kind of cool and I want to talk about possibilities, but one of the reasons I'm mentioning it is we have one. If you just go to zipmessage.com slash Tyler, I think it is, uh, it'll basically let you send us an audio recording. So if anyone has like a question or a topic you want us to talk about on this show, um, is that right? Is it ZipMessage slash Tyler? I want to make sure I get that right. Yeah, it is. ZipMessage.com slash Tyler. Uh, just yep. go there and you can submit audio and we'll, you know, probably uh, include it on here and, and talk about whatever whatever's on your mind. So, But I want to talk more generally just about, like, like have you looked at ZipMessage as a product?
1: Well, before you, I, I want to labor... On that okay, point, go I'll belabor that point. Um, we already have one uh, submission from a regular listener, and we'll we already have an episode planned around that submission. So, um, if you do submit this, first of all, it was really awesome to hear someone else's voice. Um, we, we've talked a lot in text, um, but in written form. But I mean, hearing voice is really cool. So, I really yeah. encourage people to take advantage of this. And um, you know, the really nice thing about if you're interested in podcasting and maybe you're a little scared to do, uh, get on, get you know, come on a podcast or start a podcast. Recording an asynchronous voice message is a great way to sort of wet your beak and um, get kind of hear yourself and get comfortable because you can script yourself. So mm-hmm. if you've got a topic or an idea that you'd like us to discuss, take a minute and record it. And rec- if you have to record it twenty times, great. Send us the best one, and we'll um, if it makes sense, we'll we'll cue it up on the podcast.
0: Yeah, that's something I really like about ZipMessage Message is you record again—it's video or video and audio or just audio—but you record it, and then it's like, do you want to post this? So I, it would be—it would be so much pressure if it's just like live streaming it to the conversation or something. Um, but yeah, so we've talked before a lot, and didn't you, as your New Year's prediction, say that asynchronous—was it asynchronous video—would be really big this year, right? Yep. That was my so prediction ha, for the have year. have you looked at, at ZipMessage for, not just for the podcast, but for kind of other use cases?
1: I haven't. I actually just went to the website and filled out a, requ- a beta request or mm-hmm. access request, um, and then it was way more than I could do while I'm on a podcast. So, um, that's about <laughs> as far as I've gotten with ZipMessage. But I've, I've heard, I, I listened to, is it Bootstrapped Web with Brian? Yeah. Is Brian Castle's the, Castle? I think,
0: Castle, yeah. Um, yeah so, hope. that
1: I've, I've heard about, you know, ZipMessages from his updates on that show, but... Um, yeah, yeah, it seems like a really cool idea, and I, the hardest thing about video, a secret's video, is just it doesn't fit in the workflow easily right now. So, right, you know, I, I want to use it a lot at Leg Up Health um, because it's a great way for me to sort of differentiate on customer service, which is I think going to be our huge differentiator when it comes to help you know comparing ourselves with health insurance agents. But it's not easy. It's easy for me to send a Loom video, but it's not easy for people to reply in video back to me.
0: Right, and we've we've talked about in uh, before. Screenjar is what I use for this. Where Screenjar, you can generate a link, send it to someone, and then they will record their video and send it to you. But it's the same problem as Loom. It's like one person can send a video, but the back and forth can't happen. And I've just been trying to think about like how could things change if this became like normalized? Kind of the way Zoom, people in our circles used Zoom prior to the pandemic, but like mainstream usage really got big over the last year or so. And you can, it's just much more acceptable to be like, here, hop on a Zoom call. Or like when we do calls with customers, they've been able to turn their webcams on this whole time. Now they actually do. They never did before. And now I'm thinking like, what if asynchronous audio and or video got normalized? And I'm kind of like, customer service would be amazing. Because our hardest thing right now is inbound phones. So if you you think about what Lessening Serum does, there's email, which is pretty easy. Like we try to get back to people quickly, but... The difference between five minutes and 15 minutes is not huge. So it's easy to like have the staffing to meet demand. Pre-scheduled demo calls, which are like 30 or 60 minute calls, they take a lot of time, but again, you can schedule them. You can be like, we only have two slots per hour or whatever, and we're going to schedule people for that. The thing that's super, super hard to staff for is inbound phone calls because you have no idea the capacity and it has to be real time. And I'm like, if we could switch that to asynchronous audio, holy shit, like, it would make things so much more efficient and better for the customer. I think
1: totally. Uh, Listen, I think the only way this happens and I, I I don't know how this affects zip message, but I think this happens in the email client, not elsewhere. So like it's either going to happen. I feel like it has to happen in either. I don't think this is another medium that gets built. I feel like it's Mm -hmm. in an existing medium and it's either the phone You know, via a phone number or via an email address and probably not via some new, I don't know what the word is, but protocol.
0: Yeah, that's probably true. I actually think this is what, do you remember Google Wave from way back in the day? Mm -hmm. This is what they messed up, I thought, because like it was made by Google. They already owned Gmail. They tried to create this whole separate thing. And so I, I, really wanted it to work. I got you on it, I think, and we. But every time I messaged you, I then emailed you, like, "Hey, I sent you a wave. Go check wave." And it's like, well, if I'm emailing you, why don't I just include the content in the email? <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, the, I think the problem is the inbox. Your inbox is email. Nothing's getting, nothing's replacing your email inbox, but it might link off to other things.
1: I think as email client, like. Uh, I don't know if you saw the announcement from Nathan Barry at ConvertKit, but one of the big updates Convert, ConvertKit just rolled out with their email newsletter platform is they um, now have uh, embeddable videos that autoplay in the email mm-hmm. client. Mm-hmm. And if you have a desktop-based email client, then you don't have to actually leave the client and it plays. But if you're a browser-based client like Gmail, Gmail just shows a preview. You have to click through and actually go to the video source to see it. But I think like it, if Gmail, it's already started hap- starting to happen where embeddable like rich elements uh, are are more like part of the email content. I think as soon as Notion is in email, like the Notion interface is in email, then this is like going to take off.
0: Yeah, I actually long ago almost worked like started working on this. Like we made mockups. We called it Leaf Sheet. I have Leaf Sheet uh, and the idea was something like this. But where you could, you could do the whole thing from email, but when you get the email, it's exactly what you just said, where it's not rich. Like you can see the content, you can see the images, but there are certain places where it's like, oh, this is a checkbox list. But if you click on it, it's like, you can't, to to interact with checkbox lists, you have to be on the actual website. And the idea is eventually some people like would use us as their email client And if they're talking with another person on our system, it would be this really rich, like collaborative wiki, Google wave type of thing. And if they're not, it would just be an email with some extra features. Totally,
1: totally. And so uh, for for me, this is uh, at some point it's going to be add, you know, add voice or add video to email. You Mm -hmm. can already do that pretty well via text messages. But for business Mm -hmm. purposes, text messages aren't great. Um, I mean, text, it's pretty easy to do asynchronous voice. Via text today. Yeah,
0: that's true. I've never, I've never done it before, but it's not a technological limitation. Yeah, it's,
1: uh, but, but for businesses, it's not easy. Like, it's right. not easy to do. Like, t- people text is too personal for people still.
0: Right. Yeah. Um. One other quick use case for Zip Message that I'm even more excited about, probably. So the problem is with customers. There's a power dynamic where the customer is in charge, and we have to adjust to them. The power dynamic is flipped with job interviews, where like we can say, "Here's the format." Um, we spend so much time doing like that initial phone screen with people, and I'm just thinking if we could just be like record a five minute video, we'll, res- we'll record a five minute response. Then you record a five minute response to that, and that's your phone screen. I could imagine getting through so many more people so much faster, and it wouldn't really lose any fidelity. I don't think.
1: No, um, I actually, I mean, HireVue, which is a Utah-based company, that's this was their entire business model was oh, really, video pre-screens. Asynchronous, though? Asynchronous, yeah. Okay. Asynchronous cool. interviewing, yeah.
0: Cool. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, that's the first thing on my mind. What's, what's going on with you?
1: Well, um, do you want to jump into this big topic that I've brought to the discussion today?
0: Uh, ma- here, how about I give a couple updates yeah. and then we can... Okay, because I've got shorter stuff. Um, yeah, just a few things going on for me. So, April was a good month. I don't really have much to say about it besides just when you have a good month, like celebrate it. So I'm celebrating. We added, um, I know you hate when I talk in ARR, but I'm going to do it. We added $60,000 in ARR, uh, which we kind of consider 30 bad, but not so bad that like we worry about it. 50 is like very good. So that's for an average across a year. So one month at 60 isn't huge, but um, that's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. We added 298 users last month. Nick. And for the for the MRR people out there, that's 5K in MRR. Yeah. If, and I had to do I had to
1: think about that for a second. It's not easy to it's do. It's so
0: that conversion. Fu- I yeah, I, I agree. I used to think in MRR, but now that I do ARR, it's so much easier. Like 60K. That's like a entry level person's salary. Like we made one person's salary last last month.
1: For some reason, I'm much better at going five times twelve is sixty than dividing. versus <laughs> dividing. I don't know why. That's
0: fair. Multiplication is easier than division. Um but anyway yeah that that was our best month since July 2018 so in terms of revenue growth so that's neat at the same time we just had a terrible Whoa, week starting that, th- did May. You,
1: let's not wow so that was the best growth year b- growth month in 3 years in terms of total revenue yes wow yes w- what about and, percentages uh
0: it's not the best you know obviously in the early days it's so much easier to like yeah, yeah. like we had you know a thousand percent year over year or some years. Um, but actually our year, of, I don't know, uh, mon- I don't look at monthly percentages because it's always like it rounds to 1% basically. But so normally I think like a decent model for SaaS companies is, so there's two ways to talk about growth, relative or percent, like how, what's your year over year or absolute like dollar amount. Mm-hmm. Normally you expect your dollar amount to go up and your relative percent amount to go down because like the bigger you get, the harder it is to continue doubling or whatever. Uh, we actually have gone up over the last 18 months. So even pre pandemic, we're at like 17 or 18% year over year, which we were at 14% before the pandemic or something like that. So it really comes down to the price increase, I think, but it has helped pedal to the metal you're accelerating. Uh, I don't think that's true, but we're in a good, we're kind of in this weird position where the money's good. But you can like, it's very easy to break down how much of this revenue increase is due to replacing $10 users with $15 users, but that's going to go away. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If
0: you take that out of it, we're still doing fine, but we're definitely not accelerating. So like my hope is by the time that wears off, I actually, I don't have any updates on this, but like Eunice is doing so much cool marketing stuff, which we've never done before. I feel pretty bullish on the idea that we will We'll have like a real growth channel before this wears off. That's the cool thing.
1: Yeah. As long as you have another one lined up before the current one sort of falls off, yeah, uh, then you're good. Do, do you, um, do you plan on sharing updates at some point about the marketing stuff you're doing?
0: Uh, yeah, I, it, the thing is, it's so like small and iterative. Um, there's not like some brilliant, like some huge campaign that's going on, but it's all just kind of block and tackle stuff. Like she's identifying keywords that we're close on and like doing some internal linking. Like this page will link to like, basically for every keyword we have that's close that we care about. So for example, uh, business coach CRM is one, it gets very little traffic, but like the traffic it gets is really qualified. We were already good on it. She just wrote one more blog post about it. And then in that blog post linked to our main business coach landing page. And that knocked it up to number one. Um, So yeah, each one of these is bringing us like two clicks a month, but she's doing like 20 of them a week. So we're getting, it's it's moving in the right direction.
1: It's a perfect, I think this is just a perfect example of getting something to 70% and then letting someone take it the rest of the way. Um, It's very cool. Like she, she probably feels really, really good about the impact she's having on the business.
0: Yeah, I think she does. I, I will like hedge that a little. I still have not, I don't think we're at 70 yet. So I think I, I think of myself as a manager here, not as having fully delegated the ownership of it. That's fair. Not not because I don't trust her, but because it's not fair to her. When I've done this in the past, if I hire someone, I'm like, you're in charge, go make it work, they always fail because like they're not empowered to to do stuff that I am empowered to do.
1: I guess what I what I mean in this particular case, I'm not referring to necessarily marketing. I'm referring to the tactical mm-hmm. on-site SEO optimization. It seems yep. like that's something that you are pretty comfortable saying. Hey, like we've, we're ranking for Google. The site's you know seventy percent optimized. Go take it to hundred percent.
0: That's a good point. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. Um, which is cool. Like it just says it. Like okay, go get more of those seventy percent marketing situations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I, I'm really excited to see where it goes. Um, but I'll close that very optimistic update with the first week of May so far has been terrible. So if anyone's <laughs> listening to this and you're like. Oh man, every time people on podcasts are talking and it's good. Like we had a our, one of our best months ever followed by like a net negative week. Like we've lost revenue this week. So, you know, ups and downs. <laughs> oh man. Um, One other thing I wanted to call out specifically is our average account size has been slowly creeping up. Uh, so we, on average, our average account size is 2.5. Well, I started tracking it in a spreadsheet last October. At the time, it was 2.27. No, sorry, 2.29. And it has crept up to 2.33. Such a small increase, right? It's 2.33. It's a 0.04 users per account increase. That uh, makes up a $76,000 revenue increase. Wow. Um, If if you just say we have the same number of accounts. points makes up 76k in ARR. Yeah. And like, if you do the math for like, what if we got to four users per account, which is still tiny, right? Like if you think, what do you think Salesforce's average is like a hundred or something? This is why people go market; They get (laughs) greedy
1: and addicted to this. This is, I mean, this is just like, this is easy, the easy growth money. Mm -hmm.
0: I get why it's so tempting for people. And I'm trying to balance it where it's like, I think we can be above 2.3 without selling out. I don't want to get to the point where like this is the main metric I'm paying attention to, but man, it, it is easy money. Mhm. I didn't really do much to make it happen by like I'm guessing the price increase is the primary cause of it, but well, I mean, the, coming back to our episode last week where you're rolling out some features
1: for bigger you're one bringing on bigger a bigger client an enterprise mm-hmm. customer, but you're more importantly developing features that other larger customers are currently maybe not going with you because you don't have like that's going to that's a lever that you are pulling to increase the average account size, whether you're doing it for that reason or not.
0: Well, absolutely. But the thing is, none of that's done yet. So like yeah. this happened without any of that. So I'm I'm kind of first of all, if it's due to the price increase or really any explanation I can come up with for it, it's probably going to keep happening because we've only churned out whatever percent of our ten dollar users. Right. It feels to me like my
1: just rough Estimate here is that the product has matured and you're now like enterprise, like the, the same reason that the enterprise deal got done in the first place, even with the custom development is the same reason that you're, you know, larger customers are going, oh, I can go with less knowing CRM now. It's some, you, you've kind of hit that point where you're under serious consideration.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope so. And um, it's only going to
1: get better. I mean,
0: that's the thing. Like. Right. Yeah, I, I just hope it gets. So this this enterprise deal is like a potentially 500 user account. That I'm not. We're not building a business around serving 500 user accounts. But if we can get a lot more 10 user accounts, that that would be. Because I I think a 10 user account takes less customer support than a one user account. Not less per user, less total. Because like the most tech savvy person at the 10 person account is the one talking to us, and they're probably more tech savvy than the average one one user. Yep. So anyway, yeah. Yep. I get why people go up market. I'm they're, I'm going to try. They're to, also not using to do it.
1: <laughs> the product for a different reason. Like mm-hmm. the whole idea of collaboration is sort of on a one person account. Like they're collaborating with themselves. It's right. like
0: yeah, th- the product's more valuable. Churn should go down, presumably. Mm-hmm. Lots of metrics should be affected by that. So cool. Um, all right, I have one more update, but I, I can save it because I've been talking for a while. Let's let's dive into your big thing here. Okay, so um,
1: my focus is shifting to. Uh, I like got benefits. I'm I'm coming at it very. I feel like I. It's like the beginning of a six week sprint. Uh, I am definitely feeling no pressure. Th- thinking about it, I'm going for walks. I'm, you know, seeing where I want to start. I'm doing a little thing here and there. But what I one thing I came to was like, okay, well, how should I? I'm trying to decide what am I going to focus on first. Like, where am I going to go really hard first? And there's a couple of different areas I could could go down. One area for example is uh, is marketing I, I could really quickly get a big win and just redo the entire Lega benefits site and just get that out of the way. that's sort of like going after the easy thing first The uh, you know other area is to focus on building the platform out on the on the coding first and then there's like this other area of like sort of preparing like trying to focus on getting ready to do those things so that I can knock those out. And it led me to a topic that we had sort of brushed over on a previous episode, but not really, um, uh, gone deep on, which is, um, are you familiar with the concept of the theory of constraints?
0: I think maybe you've like, men- oh, it's from essentialism. I see. Yeah. I think you mentioned it when you did your book report there, but give me a refresher.
1: So the, the, the popular, the book that popularized this concept is a book called the goal by Eli Goldratt and Basically, um, the the idea is when you use the theory of constraints, you 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 acknowledge that every process that exists in your business or future process um, has a bottleneck, and by focusing on removing that bottleneck, you are working on potentially the most effective, you know, path to improving your, your process or your overall business in that case. Um, and the, another way of thinking about it is improvement by subtra- subtraction. So, um, if you go and look at like, okay, what are my biggest problems? And go solve one of the problems and just do that. Eventually you're gonna have removed all the problems and it's it, you're your, um, better as a result. So I sort of thought about this and. I was thinking, like, if I took this... Oh, well, I guess, is there anything you want to say on the, this theory of constraints? Is this something you've used at Less Annoying CRM? And it feels, to me, like, it feels something like something that's relevant to Start up to Last because it's mm-hmm. sort of like the... It's the slow way in the short term, but the fast way in the long term.
0: Right. Can I... Uh- not exactly engage with that, but give a different I've heard this lesson, but told in a different way. And Love let me hear it. Okay, let me say it and tell me if I'm getting this right. If this is the same thing or not. Have we talked about the Phoenix Project before, the book?
1: Yes, but I don't remember the details.
0: Okay. It's one of my favorite business books, even though it's like ridiculously hokey because it's a business novel. It's like fiction. It's so stupid. Those are but the best. There's the best <laughs> business books. <laughs> Actually, yeah, it's so much more readable. But in it, um, it's like a DevOps team working on software challenges, but the analogy that there's this like kind of character that keeps taking the main character to this manufacturing warehouse place that's doing lean manufacturing, like the thing that Toyota popularized and basically making a lot of analogies to how lean manufacturing works and applying it to just project management in general. And what they say is they're standing at the top of this factory There's all these different stations. And this is like a car parts company. So like one station brings in raw metal and shapes it and then hands it off to another, which bolts it together and then hands it off to another, which paints it or whatever the steps are. And the kind of like wise, you know, guardian angel that's teaching the lessons says, look around the floor. What would you improve if if you could like make this process work more efficiently? The main character is like, oh, a little of that, a little of that, a little of that. And then the guardian angel says, you see how there's stuff piling up at that station, like too much stuff's coming in and not enough's going out. So it piles up. He's like, the only way to improve output is that station. That's the only place because anything else you improve, it's still going to get bottlenecked at that station. Yep. How does that compare to this theory of constraints? uh,
1: That's the exact concept.
0: Okay, cool. So yeah, I have uh, applied that. I, I like that a lot. I think it's a super useful mental model. Cool.
1: So, yeah, just another example of this that I really like is: if, let's say you're you're leading a hike and you've got ten kids, and um, you know y- you want to get done with the hike as quickly as possible. Um, you know, your your weakest link is the slowest hiker. A lot of people, that person, a lot of times falls to the back of the line, right? And uh-huh. if you think about it, the the quickest you know way to fix that is to put that person at the front of the line. And that way, they benefit from the social pressure of being in the front. They uh, benefit from the you know optimism and the encouragement from the people behind them cheering them on. Um, and you know that person probably on average goes faster. Just as a mental, like kind of an, another uh, illustration yeah. of, of the example. So if I if I take this concept and I apply it to my leg up benefits challenge, the thing that I'm getting like totally blocked on over and over again is my know-how of JavaScript. Um, it limits my ability on low-code tools. Like, for example, I can't even get into the 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 developer program at MemberStack because my front-end skills aren't good enough. Um, Wait,
0: how do they evaluate that?
1: Well, they, they, they're they looking for experienced developers, and I don't feel like I'm an experienced
0: developer. Oh, okay. So it's just like, like an yeah, yeah. honor system.
1: Well, I, and I don't think... I mean, they wouldn't... I don't think they would let me in if I asked. Okay. I think they're pretty serious about like working with like select people. But that's one example. Another example is like I oftentimes could solve a problem using uh even with like a health, using some m- intermediate to advanced javascript, but I don't I can't. Um and so I end up not solving the problem or doing some imperfect no code hack. Um and so uh I thought, like, well, what if, what if instead of going and and just building what I know, I tried to eliminate that that constraint, and I just said, hey, like, for the first two weeks of this project, or three weeks, or first half—I don't know what the right timeline is—but for until I solve this problem, I don't have to work on anything else, which is which means I need to go learn intermediate and advanced JavaScript. Um, what do you think about that logic? Number one, and then. If assuming that you don't talk me out of that approach, maybe the second part of that of com- the conversation is how do I go learn intermediate and advanced mm-hmm. JavaScript? Uh, what's the best way to go do that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I like the logic. I especially like it. I've said before, if you have 10 things that you know you need to do, it kind of doesn't matter. Opt- ordering them correctly is probably not the most important thing if you think like, if you know you're going to need to do something, whether you do it now or six months from now, doesn't, isn't going to like 10 years from now, you're not going to look back and care. So if, if you have total confidence, you need this and maybe it will unlock a bunch of other stuff or whatever, but no matter what, you're not wasting time. You're going to have to do this at some point. That sounds very reasonable to me. Okay.
1: So I think that's right. I, and I, I don't want to overthink this. So I'm feel, I've thought a lot about this. I, I'm pretty confident if I can, let's just say, become an, Intermediate, advanced JavaScript developer, sort of like I've, I'm, I'm a decent. I know I can read JavaScript. I can look up what's happening. I can deduce de- deduce what's going on in a some simple JavaScript on a browser. What I can't do is write what like I, I can't write asynchronous stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Callbacks, well, I, I don't I, I don't feel good about that stuff. Um, yeah. So here's what here's what I'm. Th- so, so let's just go ahead and say that I'm, I'm right on this and I'm, I'm going to spend as much time as I need to to either like give up on this, becoming an intermediate <laughs> advanced JavaScript person or getting it done over the next six weeks.
0: Which l- let me pause real quick because I like that a lot. M- maybe this is a dumb idea and you could spend the next year agonizing over should you do it or not. And spending two weeks f- trying it and figuring out it's not worth it is probably a better use of time.
1: Totally, and I, I have a little bit of validation that this will work for me because of the PHP experience I had. Mm-hmm. It, I took a, a month to write that script for my news for my uh, monthly uh, email that called an Able API and you know called a SendGrid API, and it's like awesome. I call it. I run that script once a month. It's it's terrific. Um, and the way I went about writing that was I did a ton of playing around with PHP for the first two to three weeks of the project. And then the mm-hmm. last week I wrote the script based on a peer, and I did a peer, a peer programming session with you. Um, I am, I think if I did something similar with JavaScript, whereas what I did was I wrote, a, I read, a, I bought a book that on PHP that was well respected. I read that book. Um, and then I also watched videos and then I wrote little scripts to do things um, just in my sandbox on my personal server. Does that seem like the right approach with JavaScript, too, or do you think it's different?
0: I think it's the right approach. I think you're more of a book learner than most people. I think it's, everyone has different learning styles. For most people, I'd be like, pick a thing you need to build and go build it, which is what you did there. But like, if I were doing it, I wouldn't even read the book. But it sounds like that works for you. I, I would go so far as to say, I think literally the exact same project is the thing to do. Because if you remember, when we did that pair programming session, what we started out with is Airtable lets you write JavaScript. And we were going to try to write all that code in JavaScript. But at the time, Airtable had this limitation. They then, after you built it in PHP, Airtable lifted the limitation. So I would just go create the exact same functionality because it's one thing to like Solve a problem and learn a language at the same time. You've already got the problem solved. You know what APIs you need to call and what the logic needs to be. You just need to implement it in JavaScript. I think that would be how I would approach it. That's
1: a great first project, um, and that would. I would suggest that it's probably not all I need to learn with JavaScript. It probably won't cover everything I need to learn to be an inter- intermediate advanced JavaScript. But it will if I can do
0: that. In yeah, a then, couple then you of weeks, pick the next level yeah, up yeah. project after that. Cool, cool. Um, and I actually think it should be for for people who haven't seen like Air like system for calling JavaScript functions. It's super, super cool. It should be, this functionality should be in Airtable anyway, because I think your business should be building up its like assets, like its moat is built around having done this in Airtable, not having like a random PHP file on Rick's computer that you can call once a month.
1: Nope, I agree. Totally. Um, and actually, I think there's some other cool things I can do with job. The, the next project could be actually solving a separate problem but eventually, it could be building leg up benefits. So, um, mm-hmm. so I think this kind of flows nicely. Okay, I feel good about this. I don't need. To, we don't need to go talk about it anymore. Um, I I'm gonna start with. I'm gonna basically apply the same same concept. Do you have any book recommendations uh, on JavaScript? I've already I've, bought one that I think I, I feel pretty good about. But I'm I've never read suggest- a book
0: on a programming language before. Really? Like even in college when they assigned textbooks, I'd never read them. I've never done it before. Really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So I'm so weird sorry. now I don't. I don't know if you're weird, but you're different from me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess if
0: if there's anyone out there
1: listening who has some good JavaScript resources that are maybe that that you feel very strongly about, I'd love to hear about them. Um, if you have any, Tyler, I'd love to. I hear guess about them one too. thing
0: this isn't a book, but um, Wes Boss, W E S B O S, and I think it's Wesbos.com. He has a bunch of courses on various things, uh, including he has like a beginner JavaScript and an advanced JavaScript one. I have not personally taken it, but I've heard people say good things about that. Cool, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, just out of curiosity, what's the next pro- like? If you do that first project in JavaScript, what's another thing you actually need built? Like, oh, where is JavaScript being a constraint? Um, well, uh,
1: on leg up Health, that uh, issue with uh, the storage uh, using the CMS collections to store people's insurance information versus um, dynamically loading it based on their based on pulling the data. And via a authenticated users API,
0: you want to store it in in member, member stack. St- stack as like a JSON blob, yeah, and then pull it down. Okay, I yeah. got gotcha. you. So That's, you'll be using be member one. stack as a database, basically. Yes. That's a cool project. I like it. If you do those two, and uh, what's the community? You said you can't get in the advanced JavaScript thing. Member stack. <laughs> Oh, it is. Mem- okay. So I confuse member stack and maker bed. maker. I confuse those two. all the time. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> at that point, you're going to have some pretty cool credentials for like writing custom JavaScript to extend no code stuff. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Those are just like two. It.
1: And I, there's, I mean, obviously leg up benefits is another one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Cool. Thanks. Thanks for talking through me with that. I, I do think like when you have all the time in the world and you're not focused on the most urgent thing. It does feel like focusing on your biggest obstacle is a really good place, but I could see how people like an an opposing argument could be if you are under a deadline, sometimes that's not the most effective approach.
0: The thing that I think the worst outcome is you don't, you're not under a deadline. And so you just let whatever fill your time and you're not deliberate about it. I I do this from time to time where it's like, I'm used to being really busy and then I have a week that's kind of slow. And like if if I don't plan it out, I'll just work on whatever people happen to email me about that week, and it's kind of a waste of a week. But you're not doing that. You're saying, this is the most important thing, so go do it.
1: Yeah. And I feel like, man, one of the things that I really wanted to accomplish while I was working on my own business, even if my own business ventures failed, was learning how to code. And I am much further along than when I started. Like We started this, I don't know when, one of the most popular episodes is... Mm-hmm. how do you learn how to code? Like you teaching me how to think about learning how to code and I've come a long way since then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No one's ever regretted picking up those skills, I don't yeah. think. So yeah. cool. Um, maybe I'll give my other update, which is speaking of coding. So I've, I think I mentioned last week or the week before, we're uh, kind of looking for a developer. Um, the th- tricky thing is we've basically only ever hired entry-level people before. And with entry-level people, by that I mean like someone who maybe majored in computer science or went through a boot camp, but like doesn't really have much professional experience. At that level, interviewing is kind of easy because it's just like, do you know the basics of code? And are you a smart person? And if if those two things are true, we're gonna take the risk and hope that you can like put the two together and become a really good engineer. For experienced people, it's tougher because it's like measuring what they already know, which is a whole different thing. And to make it tougher still, I'm not particularly picky about what level of experience they have. Like, I think anything from beginner with some experience through, like, senior engineer are all fair game here. And so, like, I don't think the same interview process would apply for all of them. I want to run an idea by you. (laughs) And I've never heard of anyone do this, so it's probably a bad idea. But here's what I'm thinking. I was thinking about basically saying here are three levels, and maybe even going so far as to be like, at this level, the salary would be this. At this level, the salary would be that. And give some examples of what questions we would ask in the interview process. And basically, go out and recruit, but be like, you can apply for any of the three levels. You tell us, if you think you can get the senior developer answers right, apply for that one and we'll pay you more, basically.
1: Mm. Um, What do you think about that? Well, I, it seems like an interesting idea. I, what's the problem you're trying to solve? I, I, when you were talking earlier, I, I heard sort of two. I heard a different problem. One pro like one is like what we have an inter, We have a candidate for a job that we're, we're, we've posted, and uh-huh. we're trying to find someone that is more experienced. So the jobs they've applied for the more experienced job, and we don't know what to ask them.
0: Yeah, fundamentally that's right. Okay, but like the problem is I've already talked to a few people. I haven't like figured out what the interview process is going to be, but I started recruiting. And like some of them, I just normally, like I will send them in the initial email, here's the interview process. Um, and I can't do that this time because it's like it would, you know, the thing that would be really challenging for one of them would be really easy for the other. But it's not because one's a better fit than the other. It's just like experience levels.
1: It's It feels like you're maybe constructing a solution before you fully have, have like done it manually enough. Like it seems mm-hmm. like maybe a better... Do I like the solution? Yeah, it's worth trying if you're really passionate about it, but why not just handle this manually for a while to, until you see some trends emerge?
0: What do you mean by that, though? So, like, I've I've been emailing with someone today and I want to tell her, like, she has applied officially. She gave me a resume and I want to be like, OK, well, first step is this, but I don't know what that is yet. Um, whatever you would
1: say the first step is for whatever level you would put her in.
0: I don't know what level she's in.
1: OK. Well, how do you determine what level she's in? That's the well. So first I was step. saying
0: I was gonna let I was gonna give her the option and be like, which one do you want to apply for? What problem does that solve? It tells you what it's she that thinks that I don't of herself. Yeah, right. Yeah, but that doesn't tell you what she actually can do. Well, if she fails the interview, then it's not. Uh, it's, it's. It. I mean, potentially you miss out on someone that could have passed an easier interview, but uh, like something I'm worried about here is like these are screening making it too hard. Well, I mean, there will probably be multiple rounds, but okay. I've heard before, so like, experienced developers are really insulted by like the interviews we do with uh, college grads. Are like, do you know what an if statement is? And if we did that with a senior developer, they'd trying, be like, I'm I see walking the problem out. now. The problem that you're trying not to offend people,
1: right? Yeah. Okay, you're trying not to overwhelm the wrong like the beginner and and almost make them feel anxiety, um, and then you're you're trying not to have the opposite problem. In the, by insulting the person who, right? Yeah, it's
0: like, like, I, I it's, like that, yes. it's like depressing. It's like
1: depressing, like depressing versus anxiety. Like the the you know the the person's excited they have reached out, and then they they apply and they realize they're overqualified for the job. That's depressing. Underqualified gives you anxiety. Okay, I got it. Um, yeah. So basically, <laughs> you want them to tell you how hard to make the interview.
0: Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought don't about just it ask them that. But- tell me. yeah, so I I thought about that. Like, let's say if I just say. Do you think you're beginner, intermediate, or expert? But they don't like know what that means. We have a wide range. Why don't you just say like
1: we have a wide range? Of, we're we're looking at all experience levels for this job. Mm-hmm. We have a wide range of uh, of challenge you know, problems in terms of challenging uh, to you know that require you know beginner skills to expert skills. W- you know what type of problems are you most interested in and able to solve the the hardest without- problems?
0: Without defining what those levels are, I feel yeah. like it'll be hard for them to answer that.
1: Yeah, here's how we think about, you know, this isn't a job. I feel like this is an email where it's like, hey, mm-hmm. here, here's how we think about the different levels of coding. Here, which one do you think you fall into? Okay. That seems I right. think that's
0: more or less what I was like. Yeah. My, my idea was more specific than what you're saying, but basically saying, here's what the interview would look like if you pick this level. If you think you can do that, pick that level, you know?
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're letting them pick the interview versus telling them like, pick the, pick, pick. I would say, tell me your experience and then let me design the interview for you versus pick the interview. But I I don't think it matters.
0: I am trying that a little. So the problem is you can't really tell from a resume. Like, it's like you've been there for five years. Great. But like, are you doing hard stuff or easy stuff? So I, I sent her an email that's like, can you describe like a hard thing you've done? And yeah. I, I'm hoping I can get a read from, but it's it's, it's a very vague question to ask someone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and well, we'll see what and the thing about this programming stuff is like someone could be really good at one part and then mm-hmm. not like it. Uh, what's more important, like when you're interviewing these people like, to get right, like their experience level or their ability to learn and meet the cultural guidelines.
0: As long as a few years from now, they're like good and fit Uh, I don't really care too much.
1: So then I would challenge you that there's probably a bigger problem that you have with the more experienced people that you're not thinking about, which is you have to like the cool thing about um, coding with someone who's not experienced uh, or interview questions with people who are not experienced. You can learn their willingness to learn by asking them basic coding questions, Mm -hmm. right? You don't have to get too creative, Um, but it's almost like when you get a super experienced coder that doesn't work anymore because they know too much. So it's almost like you have to leave the domain and go to a different domain and and see their yeah. curiosity. So it's almost like a maybe maybe there are you take a different part of the business and bring it to them and try to gauge their their curiosity, ability to learn um, outside of coding for experienced people. I don't know.
0: I think we'll do that either way. Like I okay. agree that's an important thing to do. And our version of this, we we just reopened the office and as we've discussed, talked through uh, or thought through, like, should people get private officers, this or that? We were thinking about giving them the tour, just being like, how do you think how do you think we thought this through? You know, that type of thing, just like generic problem solving. But I don't think that will tell us are they a senior developer or an intermediate developer? Um, but you're right, like fundamentally, the difference between a beginner or the difference between intermediate and advanced is not that they're better at coding. It's that they can architect a system better and they can like think through what are the potential pitfalls if we do this or that. So probably we we need to ask them those types of questions to get a sense of that. Mm-hmm. But
1: Okay. It's interesting. It feels like, yeah, it seems like you're like, this is harder because it doesn't fit a, your current formula. You're like, how can I adjust my formula to mm-hmm. to better account for this? And it's like, tries, it feels like the quicker you could, like the high level principle here is, the, the try things quicker, like don't try to over-engineer yeah. and
0: yeah, that makes sense. And see the, the other thing I like about this and then I'll stop talking. This is not the reason I wanted to come up with this plan, but people would self-select into salary bands too. So there'd be you like, avoid the money conversation. Yeah. well, and I don't mind negotiating or whatever, but I would hate to get to the end of it. And I'm like, okay, your offer is 80,000 a year. And they're like, I was looking for 140, you know? And it's like, would you wow, have the salaries should, listed
1: on these things?
0: What I have on the listing right now is like, here's how it works. We start entry-level developers at 75, and we give $10,000 a year raises at least until 125. And you could start anywhere on that range, but we'd expect you to be in that range. Mm-hmm. So we're being pretty transparent about it, but it'd be nice but, if but, yeah, we go into it. But like, <laughs> the interview determines where you fall <laughs> right, on that range.
1: <laughs> right. We're going to give you one year of credit, two years of credit, three years of credit. Yeah. Um,
0: so anyway, okay. Thanks for talking through that with me. Um
1: I don't know how helpful that was, but it was interesting. Well,
0: uh, what what it at least I, I kind of was nervous bringing it up because I thought you'd be like, that's stupid. Like, don't do that at all. And what I'm hearing is it's a OK idea, but I need to, like, just go do the work to validate it rather mm-hmm. than put the whole plan together mm-hmm. before yeah, talking to anybody. That's right. Yeah. OK. I like that.
1: Uh, all right. So we talked about the past couple of uh, podcasts. We've talked about the smart note system by uh, this German guy. Who <laughs> wrote a book about how to write smart notes that's been recommended over and over again? It's also related to people's um, obsession with Rome um, and Notion uh, to a degree. I have finished the book and I totally get it now. And I am. Um, so, what's the system? Oh, well, I mean, it took a, this guy like a very dense 100, 200 pages to explain. So, um, basically, the system is it's this guy, a German guy. Uh, Lumen is his last name. He was a professor of sociology um, that uh, was a uh, prolific uh, writer of nonfiction uh, during his time. And, you know, this guy basically has uh, discovered, taken his system and made it more accessible to English speakers. And the system is referred to as the slip box system in English. Um, It's, I don't know how to say this in German, but it's like Edelkassen. Uh, something like that, but it starts with a Z and it looks like Zettel, and then Kasten, um in English. But uh, that's what it's called. And basically, it's taking um, it's first pr- taking writing like nonfiction writing and breaking it down to first principles and saying th- the the basic you know the building block of nonfiction at the at its most root level is a thought that you have in your head, mm. and then the the second part of that like. The second step is turning that thought into a note and a note is an idea Um, and that translation from a thought to a note um, is very is actually the hardest part of writing it's the that, that one thought to your you know what you can you see in your head to the written word that you explain in your own words and when when you have to write a lot of those for a paper, for example, and you're staring at a blank page, that's when you freak out and you like, I don't know what to write. But all through the day, we have these thoughts. Um, and if you know, the basic idea of the system is: step one, when you have the thought, stop, write a note, and don't stop until you can. Ex- you feel like you've transferred fully transferred the thought into words that someone else could understand.
0: So it's not just like the name of a blog post. It's like explaining enough of it that like the insight could be gleaned from the note that you wrote correct it, full sentences um, okay.
1: with a citation um, mm-hmm. is what he argues i'm not so f- you know i think that everyone can sort of make this a- yeah. to what they want but you know a coherent thought that has tra- you know tra- translated your thought into a written insight um, and then you that's step one and then step two is do that over and over again step three is link the notes to each other as they relate that's it and if you do that over and over every day, eventually mm-hmm. um, you all you, ha- all you have to do is grab a grouping of these interconnected notes and you know re- curate them um, and you have a paper. So do you see yourself following this approach? Have you already done it? I have been doing something very similar, except I had a I was the biggest thing that I think the, the biggest takeaway from this is you need a system. Um, and a, to, for a workflow. And what I was, what what I, think talking about the theory of constraints, where I was getting bogged down was a backlog of notes. I had like not well-written, I have a lot of note, like, Yeah, that's where I am too. Inaccessible notes is what I would mm-hmm. call them. And so my big thing is I have to fight the urge to go read more and jot more of those inaccessible notes down and go go a little bit slower in the short term and just focus on building the habit of when I have a thought, translating that into the written word, into a, a what he calls a permanent note in the book, mm-hmm. um, and then filing it away, and that's what I'm focused on. That's a big takeaway. I think that will change. I think that this will either, over a course of a month or so, totally, you know, unblock me with writing, or I shouldn't say unblock. I'm not really blocked, but it's like like accelerate my writing, um, or it will be something that is not worth it.
0: Are you using Rome Research for that?
1: I'm using Notion. Notion. Notion is perfectly fine for this. Um, the people who, from what I can tell, when the book was written and when people were really excited about Rome, Notion lacks some features mm. that they have now released. They've added. Um, and the other reason people like Rome is the speed of the and the minimalist approach to the editor, whereas Notion has a lot of uh, add-ons and sort of uh, and stuff. So uh, I am using Notion for this. Cool. Was well, that it? Do you do you get it too now? Like,
0: I mean, I don't think I think there's an insight in there. Like, well, everything you said makes sense, and also it doesn't sound all that interesting. Like, it doesn't sound novel. It's like, okay, yeah, you write you write your thoughts down, and and then you link them together. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure there's like getting in the habit of actually doing it is a different thing. I imagine.
1: Do you ever read books and like you you're writing you're reading this book and or this piece of text and this the author clearly has a a word of choice. Like, mm-hmm. And they just say it over and over again. It's like, okay, that word, I've never heard that word before. And now you've used it like 15 times in the same text.
0: Well, good authors are marketers, yeah. right? I, I shouldn't say good authors. Authors who are successful are marketers where even if you're giving an idea that everyone already knows, you have to make up a term and then you're going to go to a TED talk and yeah, it's your term, you know?
1: Yeah. And th- well, this, this is like, I think an oversight by him. This is more of like a, just like a habit, but the word he used was banal, um, which means ob- like stupidly obvious. He uses not banal, or I don't know how to say it. I just read it. Um, Is it? I I I pronounce it banal. Banal. I think it's
0: banal. Banal.
1: Whatever. B a n a l. Um, Banal. Uh, That is the most prevalent word that I've never heard before. Like (laughs) I can't even pronounce it.
0: Uh, It probably like some word in German that is more common translates to it.
1: Yeah. 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 And uh, but but that was like yes. This he he acknowledges throughout the book that this is stupidly obvious.
0: Gotcha. Okay. I but like no. that. <laughs> I'm going to end up being wrong about that. Watch. Uh, cool. Uh, you got a couple rants and shout outs here. Let's, let's do it. Well, I, this is another thing
1: that just suddenly clicked for me. Um, the founder podcast. So when we started this podcast, I didn't listen to podcasts. Uh, once we started listening to this podcast, I got really into the interview podcast, especially like the knowledge project is still like if I were to want a really good, like educational, informative Peeking my curiosity, wetting my beak into some interesting subject. It's the Knowledge Project, but I, I tried to listen to the Founder Podcast when we first started this, and I just wasn't into it. Man, for some reason, I totally get it now, and I can't explain it other than I really like it, and I want, I want more. So I actually just like uh, <laughs> tweeted about it, and I sub- <laughs> I subscribed to like thirty podcasts this uh, this week, wow. and I have no idea how I'm going to get through all of them. But uh, I was finding myself on my walks, not having enough to listen to because sometimes like you're listening to an episode and you like the founders, but whatever they're talking about that week, or maybe their, their moods that week, you're not into it. And so you just Mm want to go to the next one. I found myself running out of content. And so I'm, I'm very interested to see uh, what I like and don't like of the new batch.
0: Yeah. Well, that's cool. I think you'll also form more of a relationship with them. Um, I just heard the term for this like one way relationship, the pod, uh, I forget what it is, but look, like the more you listen to two founders talking to each other, the more you feel like you know them and you're on the journey, or even if the topic they're discussing doesn't interest you, it's almost like when you're talking to a friend, it's like, I, you know, every conversation doesn't have to be the most stimulating thing in the world and and you can still enjoy it. I bet you'll get even a little more hooked as you listen more. I,
1: that's, I, I think so. I think it's uh, one of those self-reinforcing things. Um, yeah. Well, uh, do you, I mean, I got your suggestion, so thank you for replying.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty basic. I listen to the uh, the most popular ones. I don't think I'm like. I have any indie <laughs> founder podcast. What,
1: what what is indie when it's already indie?
0: That's true. I don't think I have any smaller than us. Okay. Like I think we are the least popular podcast on my subscription list. Probably interesting.
1: Okay. Um, cool. One other, uh, just kind of acknowledgement. We've been ta- we've ta- on the podcast. we talked about Coinbase. We've talked about Robinhood, and. I realized I had never, have actually, I don't know anything about the companies other than the general idea. So I, just for fun this week, I set up a Coinbase and Robinhood account and put $150 in each and just went through the experience. And it's really impressive UX. It's like, I remember setting an E-Trade account up in, back in the day and that thing's still <laughs> open and I don't know how to close it. And it was an awful experience. And uh, it's amazing how far like online trading is coming, come. And uh, I'm kind of treating this as a game. I w I wanna learn crypto. Um, not to like do anything other than like make sure I understand what I'm missing out on. But it's like, I think just by making this a game, I threw 300 yeah. bucks into this and we'll see what happens.
0: I think that's the right way to think about it. I think any meaningful amount of money should be invested through something with a shitty UX because, like, <laughs> I mean, the criticisms you hear about Robinhood is that it's too good. Yeah. And so people treat it like a game and it's like, this problem, I mean, you're doing it responsibly. It's a few hundred bucks. It's fine. But like when a 22 year old who no one ever taught them, how finance works and they're putting their retirement savings into robin hood but it feels like a game i think it is kind of dangerous totally
1: totally I, have you read the like the story of bitcoin do you know it like the white paper from this like they don't know who i the haven't read the is. white paper
0: yeah i know the uh, satoshi what's, satoshi yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: like it's a, it's a incredible like is like a an anime story it's like it's not real
0: yeah well, and I love all the stories. I, I mean, I shouldn't say I love because people, like it sucks for people, but like all the stories of someone had like a thousand Bitcoins back when they were worth nothing, put them on a hard drive. The hard drive's now in a landfill somewhere and they're like searching landfills to because fu- it's like worth a billion dollars now, you know? <laughs> and there's a bunch of these stories, like uh, hundreds, uh, hundreds of millions at least, and probably billions of dollars have been lost just because people threw their thumb drive away. <laughs> uh, there's so many interesting stories around Bitcoin. Ah, uh, man.
1: Uh, okay, we, we can't end this episode without following up our base camp conversation from last week. Um, are you surprised by the, uh, the fallout that has happened since our last episode?
0: Uh, I'm surprised by some of it and not other parts. I mean, I think both of us got... Uh, anytime you talk about a current event, like as it's happening, you're obviously going to get stuff wrong. One thing I'll call out that I definitely got wrong is I was like, eh, maybe five, maybe 10 people will quit and it you know they'll just keep on chugging and then like the next day 20 people uh, pu- 20 people publicly resigned on twitter we don't even know if other people like privately resigned but um it was a bigger deal in terms of employee turnover than i thought it would be um
1: one thing i thought you nailed though is um the flubbed internal communication that was your main point in our conversation on the last episode it was hey like these these guys did not do internal communication right at all. They did not do it thoughtfully, and that's like that's really risen to the top as like the core failing that they've acknowledged. I think, um, as man, we didn't do this right.
0: And that's so, the thing they've that the founders yeah. acknowledge. Yes. I do think there's another the, the thing that was beneath the surface that neither of us knew about is there were apparently like pretty major cultural issues separate from all of this. But that, that's a separate thing. But like, yeah, what was a separate I think, thing. Well, it sounds like there. So. Uh, two two articles came out from The Verge. The first one was about the communication problems, leadership problems, and it it almost made it seem like this one acute event caused all the, the conflict. The second one was talking about basically there's one employee who was the most senior person other than the founders at the company who was politically very, at least viewed as divisive. We, we can't see any of this. I don't know who's at fault or whatever, but like very much not aligned with everybody else and that a lot of the employees have come out and kind of said, on the record, like things were pretty fucked up there for a long time, and this was just the straw that broke the camel's back. And yes, communication was bad and stuff, but twenty people didn't quit because oh, like, of one. Po- yeah, 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 okay,
1: interesting. Um, okay, and then I had a, just a follow up question: Is it clear to you still, like, what outcome uh, the founders of Basecamp are optimizing for? And the second, like, the kind of follow up question of that is. Are they getting it?
0: Yeah, I don't think so. The the thing, the main thing I would have agreed with you on last time, or I did agree with you on is like the founders were pretty fine with what happened. Like probably it was a bigger public scandal than they wanted, but they wanted people to leave. They wanted this. They only wanted people at the company who like this policy. And there are a lot of people out there. If you read Hacker News, it's 50-50. Half the people are outraged. Half the people like it. They wanted the people who like the policy. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that was astute of you but also I think this blew up even worse since then and I have a hard time imagining that this is what they wanted. Yeah. The whole iOS team left, head of design, head of customer service. I mean, very very important people and if you, you think put, about how institutional knowledge works, they lost a lot of
1: it. Yeah, there's potentially some of those people who left for reasons other than the pol- like the policies, right? Like there's they might have been fine with the policies. To a degree, but the right. way this all went down over whatever period of time, um, at, you know, and whatever's happened behind the scenes was just, you know, too much.
0: And it's a it's a hot job market. To get six months paid, if you're you know at the top of your field, you can probably go get another. Like Basecamp pays very very well, but they they pay 90th percentile of San Francisco wages. The average person they hire, I bet, can get 90th percentile of San Francisco wages working at Google. So. All, a six month vacation doesn't sound bad either.
1: No, it's not, and that's that's kind of the idea, right? Like you don't offer that package, you know, as an option unless you want yeah. people to take it, right? Like,
0: yeah, you, what you want is you. I think you said this last time uh, uh, related to layoffs. Like, you don't want to do two layoffs. You want to cut everybody at once, and th- that's what the the big severance package is. It's like if you're even on the fence here, get out. And I I understand that. Like again, I don't agree with the policies and stuff, but if you're going to do it. Get, you don't want a bunch of employees who resent you and are only there because they didn't have any other option. You want people who are true believers, I think, if you're in their shoes. And yeah, t- I agree. Y- you asked though, sorry, I got off topic. You asked, what do they actually want? I, who knows? But my guess is they wanted that five to 10 people to leave <laughs> and otherwise <laughs> got, things stay got,
1: the same. Yeah. And then they got the 10 to 20, they got the 20 to 30. And yeah. so, you know, I guess they're ultimately like... The, the, the outcome is probably what they wanted, but it's probably more costly than what they were imagining. And they're probably going to be okay with it. Yeah. Guess.
0: And I mean, hiring people super hard. Uh, they're going to need, they're either not going to hire, rehire, or they're going to lose a lot of people. But I also think something that's probably going to be tough the cultural. So they're going to be left with two thirds of a company that's like woke progressive politicals, or m- maybe not. The, maybe the people who quit are more like that, but the whole company had that vibe. And the next third, if they replace that third of people that quit, they're going to be replaced with like libertarian, you know, eat what you kill people. What is the culture going to be like <laughs> at base camp? That'd be interesting. I
1: like, I feel like, I don't know. That'll be interesting to watch. Uh, it's an attractive job. I, I, I don't know how to say, is it Sahil or Sahil? I, sorry. Um, you probably don't listen to this podcast, but a uh, popular guy on Twitter, um, the gun you know, road founder. Yeah. He, he, no, this is a different Sahil, uh, Uh, I don't know what he does exactly, but, um, he tweeted working at Basecamp and like listed some bullets. Like it's pretty attractive, 40 hours a week job, 32 in the summer, make 90 percentile of the uh, San Francisco level wage for your job, work anywhere in the world, no managers, minimal meetings, twice a year meetups, allowed to work on side projects, contribute to open source, can't talk politics at work. Like for a lot of people, like that's, seven, eight good things and one bad thing. And for another, a lot of people, it's all good. Mm-hmm.
0: I They're going to have a, a lot of very, very talented people who want to work there. I don't think that's going to be the problem. But replacing a third of a company at once is, uh, it's yeah, not yeah. as simple as just, oh, we got good applicants. That's the we'll
1: cost. I, that's the cost the, for the outcome. It's probably higher than what they thought it was going to be. But yeah.
0: It's possible um, they don't need to re- replace them either. It's possible they're like, we're overstaffed, but- they lost the whole iOS team. I think that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Anyway, I not, neither of us know. So no. I, I kind of I'm fascinated by the drama and also but, don't know what I'm talking about. But
1: did you see the update Jason Freed posted uh, on World of Hayes? You know, basically that was a tough week. Nothing's going to change. We might refine yeah. and clarify some things, but that's nothing's changing. Um, we've learned from this, um, and we're sorry for. Basically, we're sorry it had to happen. Yeah, it That's wasn't even said. a real
0: apology. It was yeah. like this. This sucked. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, is how so it, I. Read it tells
1: it. me like they were, from what I can tell, they were like they were prepared for a, a bad situation to happen. It was probably a little worse than they thought it was going to be, but they were ready for it to get bad. Yeah, uh, yeah. You have to they, be they stupid. Yeah, they didn't make a rash decision here. They, it probably. Yeah, I. I, I they, <laughs> I feel like they, I, they, they handled this pretty well. I just going to say it that way. Like from a, see, I, from, from not from like a, how I would handle it standpoint, but from a, what they wanted, like, like the thing they basically-
0: is that uh, back to the, commu- well, sorry, I'm interrupting you Go ahead. back to the communication thing though. Like this is what they didn't handle. Like, okay. If you want to make the policy, I disagree with it, but it's your company. You certainly can do that, but it could have been, it could have, they could have announced it internally before they posted the blog post. The, the, I mean, the most ridiculous thing is that the the meeting where everything got so much worse, one of the founders turned off his webcam. He took the call from in bed. He turned off his webcam and didn't talk the whole meeting. Um, this goes back to like, I don't like I get what they wanted, but this is not the way to do it.
1: Yeah, but like the, I, I I hear you and I told I mean, I would not be the way I would handle it. But at the end of the day, like people are leaving because this is the new policy. And it's like, what do you, like, nothing would be different if they handled it. Any no,
0: I, I think it wouldn't have, I think it would have been a scandal. I think they could have, they could have gotten the 10 people to leave and it, p- people would have written articles about it, but it wouldn't have been like this.
1: I, I don't think that they could have handled it. I, it sounds like because this is the way they handle things, handling this instant any different than how they normally handle things wouldn't have made a difference.
0: Yeah.
1: That's, I guess my point, like they're, there, there's like a respect in being consistent from me to them that I just want to, like, if you're going to be I don't a think dick, at least be a dick all the time.
0: My But my favorite, like, you know, th- the funny thing is they wrote all these books about how to be great managers. There's so much ammunition to use against them. you said a few times like last week that you think they're being consistent. They are not. They had this whole persona. Like th- someone on Twitter posted like a highlight from like a picture highlight. of their book. Yeah. yeah. And it's like you can't you can't like you need to treat people like humans and you can't just say this is business leave your per- yourself at it, this is very contradictory to how they claim they operate I think yeah but I maybe it's not I contradictory think, to how I they actually do nu- operate. I think there's
1: nuance I think there's nuance there that like there's an argument that like it's like yeah well let them be human but like don't do it on the work account do it do it on the personal stuff do it on uh-
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, not—again, the policy is not the thing that I—I mean, I don't don't agree with it, but that's not what I'm outraged about, but anyway.
1: I I am happy that it seems to, like, dust is settling and that we don't have to probably talk about this again.
0: (laughs) I got to admit, I'm—this is, like, the worst part of me is I don't like that it happened intellectually, but I— drama, the same way people watch reality TV or something, I can't i can not look away when it's happening. Oh, you know? I know.
1: It's, but this is a perfect example of like, we said it at the end of the last episode, this this has no conclusion. This is philosophical differences about how to lead, how to run a business, how to treat mm-hmm. your employees. And it's um, like, there is no end of the conversation. There's just drastically different viewpoints.
0: It's also going to happen to all of us at some point, not, not necessarily like this publicly or whatever, but you can't go through a career without interpersonal conflict from time to time. And the the bigger a company gets, the more like some people aren't going to agree. This is not at all to let them off the hook. Again, I think they fucked up royally, but like (laughs) all of us if if, are going to have our own little dramas. And if it got aired out, we would probably feel bad. So I feel bad, like being so fascinated by this.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, anything else you want to cover today? No, I think that's, that's good. (laughs) All right. Everyone, thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have a favor to ask. Please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. If you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit StartUpToLess.com. See you next week. See ya.